This is Pastor Scott Hidman from Clovis Hills Community Church, and you are listening to the Clovis Hills Podcast. You are about to hear from one of our teaching pastors here at Clovis Hills. I want to encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app where you can follow along with today's notes, submit a prayer request, or give to the ministry of this church. I hope today's message encourages you and draws you closer to the heart of God. Hear these two words, you're going to go, yeah, or you're going to go, ugh. You know, everybody has a response to these two words right here. And me personally... Every time there was a semester that was starting brand new and I looked into the syllabus and I saw these two words, my whole heart leapt in joy. Like I rejoiced. I was like, yes, it's gonna be a great semester. And the two words I'm talking about are group project. Okay? Are you, are you feeling me? Group project. Now, all honesty right here before God and your family at Glover's Hills, How many of you guys absolutely despise group projects? See, that's, yeah, see, this is the problem here, man. I know why you guys despise group projects, because of people like me. I'm fully aware of this, okay? I get this. By the way, how many in here like love group projects with me? Like, that's my people right here. That's my people, yes. Because when I see group project, immediately what I think of is, People in this group want an A, and I am with them. Yes. And the only way I'm getting an A is because they are in my group, and so I am with them. Now, I know what the reverse is. The reverse is, oh no, Hinman is in my group. I hope we get an A. I get that that happens. I'm good. I, I understand that, you know? Um, but, but group project is one of those things that, that you just either love like me or you, or you hate. I, was, uh, I graduated college uh, with my bachelor's degree uh, from California Baptist University. Let's go, Lancers, anybody? Crickets, what? No, Lancers in the place, come on. Anyway, California Baptist University. Um, not even kids, nobody with kids at Cal Baptist in here. That was a rough service, no wonder. You know. um, Graduated with my bachelor's degree, and uh, I got through school on group projects. I'm just saying, this, this is it. I took a marine biology class in college, and the only reason I took this class, it was a summer session, so it was really condensed. The only reason high schoolers learn this, man, I'm about to give you the key to some classes that you hate, you're going to get through this. Here it is, right here. Actually, don't learn from me, man, I'm a bad example. I'd take all of that back. I took this marine biology class because a big part of the grade was we were gonna go to Catalina Island and camp there for four days, okay? Now, this is what I knew about the class. My professor was writing a book on a rare bird that only lived at Catalina Island. And I knew he wasn't gonna pay a lot of attention to me. He was gonna be off doing research. He got a graduate student to come and watch over us. Win. That's called a win-win in my circle, okay? And so, group project. We had to go to Catalina, and as a group, as a group project, we had to take pictures of plants and birds and uh, uh, marine life and uh, all this kind of stuff, and we were supposed to, to note it, describe it, scientific names, all that good stuff, and put it in a huge binder. But there was one problem to this whole group project thing, that I was in a group with three other guys that were just like me. 
they did not care about the A. And so I found myself in a quandary. But we solved that quandary because the, 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 the graduate student who came to look out over us, he made one fatal flaw. And that was he brought a speedboat with him, like his own personal speedboat. So it was either group project or water ski. You know what I mean? And you know which one went out, water ski. And so we found ourselves just having a great time at Catalina Island. And then we realized, uh-oh, we have a group project to do. Don't worry about it. Great idea came up. I have them right here. In order to get an A, I knew we were going to have to be innovative in doing, being able to do this. So one of my buddies who was on my team, we just happened to be talking one night around the campfire. And he was just talking about how his wife just lost, lost her job and she was looking for a job. And I thought, perfect timing. I got an idea. What if all of us kick in some money, we pay your wife to do our group project. We'll just send her some pictures. She could look online, whatever. She could do this. And that's exactly what happened. We pulled our money. We paid her to do our group project. She did a wonderful job, better than any of us could have ever done. It looked creative. She had pictures. She had drawings. She had all kinds of stuff. Everything was labeled correctly. We turned that group project into the professor. And you know what he said? Amazing job. A, right on there on the group project. I got an A in marine biology. Thank God for group projects. This is where everybody else booed last service. Oh, boo, Edmund. That's not the way it's done. Well, I got my bachelor's degree based on this premise, so it's all good, man. Group projects. You either love them or you hate them. But I want to tell you this morning that we're going to read a passage in 1 Corinthians. We are continuing our, our sermon series out of 1 Corinthians, and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. And so if you have your, your Bible, your iPad, your iPhone, however you access the Word of God, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. My friend Roxanne is here going to read it, but we're going to read that this whole thing called the church is a group project. And Paul, somebody's like, yeah, all right, man. Paul is going to describe to us what we're about to read. So in honor of God's word, will you please stand, if you are able to, as my friend Roxanne reads for us. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if a foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason Stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If it were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, 
we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. Now, speaking of school, I'm going to give you guys a test. Now, this test is, you could just yell out the answers if you have the answers, okay? And uh, we're going to see how well you do compared to all the other services. You know, 9 o'clock, they were pretty good last night. I mean, uh, last night's service was pretty good. 9 o'clock service, they must have been asleep. But you guys, 1040, I know you got this. So I'm going to give you a test, and you're going to yell out the answers here. So I'm going to put a picture on the board. I'm going to tell you what the picture is. It's easy what the picture is. It's very obvious. But then I'm going to ask you a question about the picture. So the first picture I'm going to put up is a picture of an elephant. There is a picture of a beautiful elephant. We know it is an elephant, but... I want to ask you, what is it? If there's one elephant, it's called an elephant. If there is a group of elephants like this, it is called a? A herd. Oh, very good. A herd. Yes. One for one. You guys are one for one. A group of elephants is called a herd. Now, next picture. Picture of a lion. Okay, lion. One is a lion. A group of lions like this is called a? A pride, very good. You guys are on a roll, two for two. Here we go. Next one is a cheetah, a cheetah. You call one cheetah. Now, I know what you guys are thinking, so I'm just gonna get the answer out so that you guys don't embarrass yourselves. A group of cheetahs is not called Cheetos, okay? They're not called Cheetos. I'm gonna throw that out right now just to help y'all, okay? A group of cheetahs like this is called a... A what? A pack? No, 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 no. Somebody earlier yelled out, just cute. <laughs> They're not cute when you see them in the wild. Um, a group of cheetahs is called a coalition. A coalition. Yeah, a coalition of cheetahs. All right, that was a tough one. Moving on. Now, this next one is a donk. Y'all just watch yourself right now, man, because a group of donkeys, not what you're thinking, okay? I'm telling you, did you just say a hymn? <laughs> this is a rough crowd right here at 1040, man. Okay, so a donkey's a donkey. A group of donkeys is called a? Democrat. Democrat. <laughs> somebody, somebody earlier yelled out a politician. I'm just like, man. <laughs> Woo, this is getting hot in here. Oh my goodness. What's a group of donkeys called? Anybody know? A, a pace. A pace. That's what a group of donkeys is called. A pace. One more. This is a vulture right here. What is a group of vultures called? Who, who said that? Somebody got it. They are right. A committee. That's what a group of vultures. Now you know why at Clovis Hills we do not run things by committees. A bunch of vultures. A group of vultures. Can be, I actually have one more for you, but it doesn't have a picture on it. What do you call someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, who claims to be a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ? What are they called? 
a Christian, right? A Christian. A Christian is somebody who follows Jesus Christ and surrendered to his lordship. Now, what do you call a group of Christians? The church. You got it, the church. That's exactly what you call a group of Christians who gather together, a local body, you call them the church. And the church is an incredibly powerful force when it is united under the same purpose and cause. It is called the church. And that's what Jesus has chose to continue his work here on earth. And Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians, in fact, 1 Corinthians starting in about chapter 10, going through for sure 11, into 12 where we're reading right now, and on into 13, he spends these few chapters talking about something that is incredibly important for, for the church in Corinth and for you and I, and that is, the, he talks to us about unity. Unity in the church. Now what's happening in the church of Corinth is, he's writing to this church, it's a new church, a lot of young unbelievers, but a, lot, a lot of young believers, and they are arguing, they're quarreling, they're beginning to divide on certain issues, and Paul is addressing these issues in this chapter. He's addressing the issues that they are not getting along. And so no wonder he talks to them about unity. And he emphasizes how important unity is. And then when we get to chapter 12, verse 12, he pauses and gives us an illustration, a mental picture of what the church is about and what it looks like. And he uses this idea of a body. So what Paul is doing is giving us a mental picture, an illustration to demonstrate to all the people in Corinth and to you and I today that are reading the scripture what the, what the body, what the church should be about. He reminds us that Jesus is the head. That he is the head. And then that all of us who call ourselves Christians, who are part of this thing called the church, that we are part of Jesus' body. We are his body. That is to say that we are his arms, legs, elbows, whatever it takes to get the message of the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and rose again and one day will come back for us and that we are the extension of Jesus, that we are to go out and share that message as if Jesus was sharing that message. That's the message that Paul is telling the church in Corinth. And he's saying, listen, because you are the body, because you are an extension of Jesus, because you are the church, then you ought to get along and understand a few things that is very important. One is that unity is incredibly important in the body of Christ. You can't have your body parts just going out and doing everything they want to do. That doesn't maximize the potential and really design for what the body is supposed to be. Our bodies work in conjunction with each other so that we can function and the body of Christ is the same thing. So this morning I want to just take a look at that and this idea of unity and what Paul says right here and grab it out of scripture and apply to us this morning how that looks in a local context like here at Clovis Hills. So one thing we need to understand about unity is this, the good news for the church is we already have our purpose as a church. In fact, every church who is a follower, every Christian church that are 
church that follows Jesus Christ and that he is our king. We are in his army. We already have our marching orders. We already have our purpose because Jesus gave it to us. And the churches should not differ from this purpose. And these are, the, these are the purposes right here. When Jesus was alive, one of the Pharisees asked of Jesus, what is the greatest command, commandment? And Jesus answered him by saying this. He said, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor like yourself. We call that the great, command, the great commandment. And his church ought to be about fulfilling the great commandment. We should be a church that loves God with all we have and then loves our neighbor like ourselves. That means we should love God and we should love people. Love God, love people. I understand that that is difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to love God, but yet we find it even harder sometimes to love people. And yet that's what Jesus said we ought to be about. We ought to love God and love people. And then he tells us right before he ascends into heaven, after his death, burial, and resurrection, he is leaving the people that, that are, were following him. He ascends into heaven, but before that, Matthew chapter 28, he tells us what we call the Great Commission. It says this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to observe everything that I have taught you. And so again, the church of the living God, we don't have to go out and discover our purpose. We are unified around a central purpose and a theme. And that is we ought to believe and we ought to carry out the great commandment and the great commission. I wanna challenge you, church, that if you are ever part of a church, even this church, and we lose sight of the fact that we have our purpose and we lose sight of the fact that we should be about making the new disciples, loving people and loving God, then I give you full permission to come and tell us about that. Because if we have, then we need to self-correct. Because the purpose of the church, not just Clovis Seals, but the church, is to love God, love others, make new disciples. That is our purpose. That is why Christians all around the world could rally together as the body of Christ and march in the same direction because nobody else, nobody else should have an alternate agenda for the church other than loving God, loving others, and making new disciples. If you ever go to another church and that is not the agenda, I encourage you to find another church. Because Jesus was very clear on what the purpose of the church is. And as a body, because we, if we cannot function together as a body without having clear purpose. The good news is we have that purpose. And we know why we exist. And we are able to tackle that. And not only fulfill God's purpose right here in Clovis, Fresno, but around our state, around our country, and around our world. I go to places like Malawi, Africa, and the Christians there understand the purpose. I don't need to teach them that they understand the purpose, that as believers in Christ, we are to be making new disciples, loving God and others. And so we are able to work together 
It doesn't matter how they do certain things or say certain things. Or, it just matters that we all are marching in the same direction to fulfill what our king said to do. And unity is incredibly important. Because once the church is not unified, this is why Paul is addressing the church in Corinth, because he understands this concept of unity is incredibly important to fulfill the great commission and great commandment. In fact, I would dare say it is hard, near impossible to fulfill the great commandment and great commission if his church is not unified. I discovered something this week as I was preparing for this message. It just hit me that so many times we pray, Holy Spirit, will you come and move in us? Oh, Holy Spirit, will you come and, and do great things in us? And those are great prayers. And, and the Holy Spirit wants to come in and do great things in our church and in our individual lives. But something dawned on me. We don't pray. We don't ask. The Holy Spirit does not come to unify his church. The Holy Spirit comes because the church is unified. I want you to understand that concept. We see it throughout scripture. It was because in Acts chapter two, it says they were in one accord, believing and understanding their purpose. Then the Holy Spirit came and used that unity to change a world. And so if we could just understand how important this concept of unity is, that the unified church, a church that is marching in the same direction and in unity, believing that we could, that, that the gospel could change a world is an unstoppable force. And the church is powerful. And God is inviting us to join in a unified effort to accomplish that, what he wants us to accomplish. Look what Paul says in Philippians chapter two, verse one and two. It says this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. What I want you to understand what Paul is telling the church in, in Philippi is this. He, he is saying to be like-minded, to be one in purpose. We are marching in the same direction because of what our king told us to do. What Paul is not telling us in Philippians is to be like each other. There's no, you don't get saved. Jesus did not die on the cross so that everybody could conform to the same look, the same sound. I don't want everybody being like me. That would be boring. Lord knows we don't want everybody to be like Pastor Sean because everybody would want to be Charger fans and punk rock. You know what I mean? That guy operates at a level that's energetic that I'm not sure we can keep up. You know what I'm saying? But, but that's his role in the body of Christ. See, we celebrate in the church, we celebrate diversity. We celebrate the fact that there are so many different parts in the body. And we celebrate that because the fact is God has created you to be you. And you can reach people that I cannot reach. And vice versa. We need diversity in the body of Christ. We should celebrate that not everybody is alike. But in our diversity, 
in being unique and, and understanding how God has made me and created me and has given me a purpose. And that purpose is to serve the body of Christ and to ultimately our diversity comes right back to the focus that we have a purpose as a believers and that is to fulfill the great commission and the great commandment. Are you following me? Now here at Clovis Hills, we do that. Uh, and I want to show you, I want to remind you how we do that at Clovis Hills. How we fulfill, how we equip and, and begin to fulfill the great commandment, great commission at Clovis Hills is we have four words. It's connect, grow, serve, and go. That's kind of how we break it down here at Clovis Hills. It's just a way for us to remember that we're on a mission for Christ. A lot of churches do it different ways. No one's right or wrong. That's just how we do it here. We remind the body that we are to be connected to God and others. You see, we were created for fellowship. We we're not created to do this Christian life on our own. And so it's important that we connect to God regularly and we connect to others regularly. We do that by, by gathering on, on weekends like this. We do that in small groups, gathering, doing life together, connect with others and God regularly. Connect, grow is our next one. And we, 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 we emphasize the fact that you should be growing in your faith and growing in relationship with each other. Connect, grow, serve. And we, our desire for you at Clovis Hills, we, our desire for anybody who walks through those doors is to connect with God and others, grow in their faith and grow in their relationship with others and serve God and others. That is our desire. We understand that by serving the body of Christ, you are connecting to God in a very unique way. You see, Jesus set the example for us. When all these kingdoms were, were growing, all these powerful kingdoms when Jesus was alive all over the known world at the time, all those kingdoms kept saying that the, the reason why these people are here is to serve me. My kingdom needs to expand. I need to become richer. I need to become more powerful. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and his kingdom is much different. You see, the economy in Christ's kingdom is not power, but it's humility. The economy in the kingdom of God is not wealth, but it's service. And even Jesus said himself, why did you come? Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus set the example. The night before he was about to die on the cross, what did he do? He gathered his 12 together and he washed their feet. You see, this kingdom and this king that we serve is not a kingdom of this world. It's a kingdom that absolutely takes the things of the world and turns them upside down, where the weak are made strong. The humble are elevated in the kingdom places. And we, as disciples of his, ought to be about serving. And so our desire for you is to connect, grow, and serve. Now, I want to give you some practical things you could do here at Clovis Hills. Maybe you're like, I would love to serve, but I don't know where to jump in. I don't know if you realize this, but there's over 200 individuals who serve every single weekend at Clovis Hills to make everything that Clovis Hills 
they do on the weekend happen. That's incredible. That is so incredible that we have such a service uh, mentality around here. And maybe you need to get in and you're like, how do I get into that? Well, first of all, there's a number of ways you can, but we need to start right here with this card. If you would love to serve, you could take this card out. You could fill out your information. Let us know the best way to contact you, whether that's a phone or an email, and you could just write serve on there. But let me tell you about a new ministry that just is happening right here at Clovis Seals that maybe you want to connect to, especially those who aren't quite serving yet. It's a ministry called, um, Dave, it's called Plugins. Plugins. Brain fart, third time preaching right here. It's, it's called Plugins. And what they do is this. I told you that we have such a big serving culture here and we got over 200 individuals serving every single weekend. Well, what happens sometimes, believe it or not, is those individuals can't serve. They either get sick uh, they can't make it, flat tire, vacation, whatever the case is. So every single weekend, we have people who normally serve in spots and they just can't make it that particular weekend. Well, we have a brand new ministry that's starting and uh, what they're gonna do is they're gonna gather before the service. And any individual who cannot make their ministry assignment that weekend are gonna, is gonna call the director, Becky Cameron, and is gonna say, we have a need for, it's like a substitute pool, you know what I mean, for school. And you're gonna just plug right in. And so this ministry is a great, great way to get involved in, in serving here at Clovis Hills because you'll just kind of be substituting wherever the need is. You might be sitting there this morning going, I wanna serve but I just don't know where to serve. This would be a great way to get involved because you're gonna have a chance to serve in different aspects of the church. And then when you find that place that you really love and you feel called to, then you just call Becky and say, no more plugins. I found a permanent place to just keep serving and it's gonna be great. If you would like to serve in that ministry, I wanna encourage you to take this card right now. Right, fill out, let us know where we can best contact you. Put plugins. Just write plugins. We'll know exactly what you're talking about. We will contact you and get you connected to that ministry. Fair enough. I love the servant culture here at Clovis Seals, and I know you do too. How many of you guys appreciate driving into our campus and you have people out there with Mickey hands just saying hi to you? How many of you appreciate that? Isn't that a great ministry? Thank you guys who do that ministry. I know sometimes it's a thankless ministry, but thank you. Because there's been times that I'll have my kids in the car. Yes, I know I'm a pastor, but I, yeah, I still go crazy sometimes. Sometimes I'll have my kids in the car and I'll be like, kids, we're going to church. And then I'll drive onto the campus to see those Mickey hands and I'll go, hey, we're at church. Thank you. It's awesome. And it's just so good to see a smiling face. How many of you appreciate those individuals that sit at every single door and around our campus to make sure that you are told good morning, welcome to Clovis Hills at least two or three times before you get into the auditorium. I love those guys. We have this thing at Clovis Hills. Um, pastors look at this kind of stuff all the time. You guys probably don't look at this stuff all the time, but this is just what we do, you know, as part of the profession. But there's this thing called the first seven minutes of a church experience, and it's a real thing. There's the first seven minutes is from the time that somebody drives into our parking lot until they get into their seats in the auditorium. It's called the first seven minute experience. And at Clovis Hills, we take that so seriously because here's the deal. Every single weekend, we get cards filled out like this with all kinds of things on the cards. 
But you know what we get a lot of good words and just compliments about on these cards? It's not the preaching. Headline, it's not the preaching. Like people don't fill out the card and go, man, that sermon changed my life. Good job, pastor. That's okay. I'm not fishing for compliments. But what we get a lot of the cards is like all the time on these cards, every single week we get compliments. Like, man, your church is so friendly. And I haven't been to church in a long time, but I felt right at home. I was so glad that so many people were welcoming me. I mean, comments like that over and over and over again. The reality is, folks, when new people, unbelievers or people that are de-churched that haven't been to church in a while, when they come onto our campus, they will decide whether they are coming back within the first seven minutes before even hearing the preacher. That's, that's the truth. Like if you go to a restaurant, the food might be great, but if the service is horrible, are you going back to that restaurant? No. And so it's so important that we have a servant culture at Clovis Hills and that's just part of us trying to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission because listen, if people have a bad experience out there before they even get in here, walls are gonna be so built up that they're not even gonna listen to the message. And so we're about breaking down barriers so that people could come in and worship God, hear from God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to move in their lives. That's how important serving is. That's the body of Christ. And we're so thankful for all the people who do children's ministry, student ministry, clean, cook. How many of you love the cookie? That might be my favorite ministry. I shouldn't have a favorite, but cookie ministry, thank you for that. It shows. All right, moving on. Connect, grow, serve. And then ultimately, we want you to go. We want you to go. It's time for you guys to grow, serve, connect, and then go be the church. Every single weekend, Pastor Sean gets up here and tells you, you didn't just come to church, you are the church. So go be the church. And when we do that, understanding that we all have the same purpose and we're marching in the same direction and we're one body. All of us become ministers of the gospel and the church is an unstoppable force. Connect, grow, serve, and go. First Corinthians chapter 12, started in verse 21. I wanna read this passage to you again because while it is incredibly important to understand that we need to be unified as a body, we also need to understand this other concept about the body, and that is this, that every part of the body is indispensable. Every single individual. Look what Paul says to the church. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the, to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Highlight that word, indispensable. Underline it, circle it, whatever you need to do, because that's an incredibly powerful word. Everybody is indispensable. Verse 23, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, 
but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part is honored. And we need to understand that every person who is a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, who claims Jesus as their king is indispensable in the kingdom of God. That's the currency of the kingdom. Now, I understand what the world tells us, but remember, the kingdom of God has taken the world and turned it upside down. You, we need to look no further than people being indispensable than our Lord and Savior, who, when was told not to hang out with women, especially women uh, uh, of her ethnicity, he walked and sat with a woman by the well and had the longest recorded conversation in the Bible with a woman he wasn't supposed to be talking to. That's how Jesus rolls. When everybody said, tax collectors are sinners, don't hang out with them. He looked right in the eyes of Matthew and said, you, you come follow me. You're going to be one of the 12. And Jesus constantly took what the world rejected and said, no, 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 these are my people. These sinners, they're with me. You see, he sat at a Pharisee's house having an intellectual conversation while a prostitute cleaned his feet. Highly unacceptable in that world. And yet that's how Jesus did it. We only need to look to our Savior to understand that every single person is indispensable in the kingdom. And when we understand that every believer, every individual is unique in the kingdom and God has placed a purpose on their lives and they are part of this body so that we can march together and fulfill the great commandment and great commission, then truly the church is firing on all cylinders. But it takes each one of us to understand and realize that. Maybe this morning you you're not sure how you all fit in and you want to, this Wednesday starts a class. It's our 301 class. And, and we're gonna teach you and we're gonna show you in scripture how God has uniquely made you and your spiritual gifts and how you contribute to the body of Christ. I encourage you to go to that class if you want to discover your spiritual gifts. But I wanna go back to Africa for a minute because I think it's gonna drive these, point, these two points home, that the church needs to be unified and, and the church needs to understand that everybody is a minister. They are indispensable. There was a young man uh, that we met on our trip to Africa. It was uh, one of the days we were going to one of the prisons and it's a prison called Dedza. It is way out in the middle of nowhere. And we go there every time. Uh, man, the, the, the church is alive and well in that prison as well. But we met this young man named Joseph. Now, Joseph was in prison. In Malawi, if you do something, they throw you in jail and they ask questions later. That's just the way it is. It's a debtor's prison. And so Joseph had committed a crime and the lawyers that were with us, Christian lawyers that were with us, um, what they do is they seek injustice in these prisons and people that shouldn't be there or have already served their time, they help to get out because basically it's the very poor that are in prisons in Malawi. They can't afford lawyers. So these lawyers represent them. And they found this man, Joseph, who, who had committed this crime and... and uh, um, should not, basically should not have been in prison for as long as he was in prison. 
And the lawyers found him and began to work on his case. And they took it before the magistrates, presented it before the magistrates. And long story short, they were able to get this young man out of prison. I have a picture of him. That's him on the left right there wearing the blue jacket. That's his sister on the right. And she plays an important part in this story. She plays an important part because she is a Christian woman. Now, Joseph and the rest of his family were Muslims. No, no idea of Christ. They were Muslims. And they have one family member who had been ostracized from the family because she was a Christian. But she didn't care. Every single day she would pray for her brother. Every single day she would go travel two and a half to three hours to this prison to go visit him, to remind him that there is hope, that she is praying for him and that he will get out. The only Christian in the family. And she kept doing this and we just happened to be there on this particular day. The lawyers happened to be working on that particular case and they are able to get Joseph out of prison that particular day. They call the sister who was about to get in a taxi to go back to the long way where she lived, two and a half to three hours. They call her, she is about to get on the taxi. One of the lawyers says, don't get in the taxi. Your brother's gonna be released today. And she broke down in tears. She could not believe it. We went to pick her up at the bus stop and bring her back to the prison. And she was absolutely in tears, just saying, hallelujah, this is the day I've been praying for. I've been praying and my savior has heard my prayers. And so Joseph gets released. This young Muslim man who had been in prison gets released by a bunch of Christian lawyers. And I'm gonna show you a picture. He gets released. And then this is what we get to do for him. We get to pray for him. Now, can you imagine this young man from Malawi who just got released from prison who is a Muslim and a bunch of people from America putting hands on him and saying, in the name of Jesus. What? What? I'm sure he was just like, what is happening? <laughs> you know what I mean? And we get to tell him about Jesus. His sister gets to tell him about Jesus. His sister says, I told you, Jesus is real. And then we get the privilege of taking him home. Two and a half to three hours later, we go to the slums of Malawi. In a place that most of us would just look at and... Uh, and be filled of smells that aren't too pleasant. And, but we take him to his home and the family, this Muslim family doesn't know that he's coming home from jail. We're gonna surprise them. They have no idea. And so we go into the family and this is us right here sitting down and that's his family right there. All of them Muslim except the woman right there in the, in the blue dress. And we get the privilege, you see, they wanted to know, how did this happen? How in the world did this happen? He's supposed to be in prison. How in the world is Joseph home today? And guess what? I had the privilege of telling him, listen, Joseph's home today because of Jesus. It's the only reason he's home today. Because there were Christians who were being the body of Christ, united in the purpose that we are of one mind. And that one mind is that we are to fulfill the great commandment and great commission. And that's the only reason we're here today. And the only reason we're here is because Christ commanded his people to love everybody like he loves them. And we walked into that yard and we got to tell that family about Jesus. And we got to tell them about the love of Jesus. 
And we got to demonstrate that by bringing the son home. That is awesome. Yes. It gets better. It gets better. I know I'm running out of time, but it gets better. You see, there's a lady who travels with us. She's part of our team over there in Malawi. Her name is Teresa. She spent 40 years in prison. She became a believer in Christ in prison. She became part of what we're, the work that we're doing in prisons over there. She got released not too long ago. Now she travels with the team to go back into prison to tell those prisoners of the hope of Jesus. And guess what? She was with us in that picture and she brought that family home. She brought Joseph home. And you know what she told us as we were leaving? She came up to us and she goes, don't worry about this family. I live right down the street. This family's gonna hear about Jesus over and over and over again. What? That's the body of Christ. Our pastors are going back to that family, supporting them and loving them. And I'm telling you, it's just a matter of time until that whole family is claimed in the name of Jesus. One more story and I'm done. While we're in Malawi, it was the second day we were in Malawi. Every time I take a team to Malawi, I take them to this very special place. It's one of my favorite places in Malawi. It's a place called Win the Saints. It's a home called Win the Saints. You drive up on this home that's kind of out of the way on purpose. You drive into this home and there are gates and guards and big walls. And you're wondering, what is behind this? Well, I'll tell you what's behind it. It's a home for girls that have been sexually abused and trafficked. This home is full of young girls who were rescued by the church, by Christians who said that we're not going to allow this to happen. And they go out and they find these young girls who have been trafficked and who have been abused. And I'm telling you, girls, it breaks your heart because as I got out of the car and we all piled out, our team piled out, we saw a young girl with a broken arm and she was three years old. They go from three all the way up to 17. And here is the church behind these walls who are saying, we're not going to let this travesty happen. Not on our watch. And they're rescuing young girls and bringing them into their home. They're getting counseling. They're getting schooled. They're getting educated. And they're being told about the love of Jesus. And you know what we did in that home? We played with them for like two hours. We played netball. You want to know what netball is? It's a, two poles without hoops. And you throw the ball at the, at the thing. And they loved every minute of it. And I'm an old fat dude and I was tired. And I'm running with these girls. The whole team's running with these girls. My man Joey over there, he tumbled at one point and like rolled down this hill and all the girls are laughing at him. But that's the church. You see, the media is never gonna tell you about that story. The media is never gonna tell you that the church is rescuing trafficked girls in Malawi. The media is never gonna tell you that the church is planting churches inside prisons, giving hope to prisoners all over Malawi. In fact, the media is gonna never tell you about the, the men and women that meet every Tuesday night on our property, trying to get over their hurts, habits, and hangups, trying to find hope in Jesus. The media is never going to tell you about this stuff. The media is never going to tell you about the boys and girls that are being, that are being tutored across town. 
the homeless shelters. The media's never gonna tell you that stuff. You know what the media's gonna tell you? The media's gonna tell you about John Christ, who was a Christian comedian who just fell into some sexual immorality. That's who the media's gonna tell you about. But the church is alive and well, and they are doing things all over this world, and we don't need the media's attention. We don't need the media to tell us we're doing a good job. That's because we are focused, and we are moving towards that goal of fulfilling the Great Commission and fulfilling the Great Commandment. And I don't care what the world says. We are His church. And we are united in that purpose and that purpose alone. And I love it. I love that we get to do this stuff. I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat. I don't care if your symbol's a donkey. I don't care any of that stuff. We rise above it, church. And we declare that the only thing, the only hope for this world is the church. And we know that to be true. So church, I want to encourage you as we worship in just a few moments. Let's worship as the church, knowing that our Savior has given us the purpose and He's given us the call and we are about going about and doing His work as the body of Christ. Now I know some of you are in here this morning and you've been burned by the church. I've been burned by the church. At some point, I'll tell you some stories about how I've been burned by the church. And if that's you this morning and you've been burned by the church, let me just tell you, if you stick around here long enough, more than likely we'll burn you as well. I know that's not what you want to hear, but I'm just being honest. Because you know why? Because I'm a faulty guy. And I'm a sinner. And so is the church right here. But I want to encourage you to not find your spiritual depth in the people, but to find it in God. Because we'll let you down all the time. I'm just telling you. But God will never let you down. It's an unperfect, it's an imperfect people serving a perfect God who are just trying to fulfill the great commission and great commandment. But we love you. And we're so glad you're here. And if you stick it out long enough, you'll fall in love with this Jesus that has transformed my life and the lives of many in here. So this morning, if that's you, and you realize, man, I am separated from God, but I need God in my life. Then I realize that apart from Him, I'm nothing. And if that's you this morning, you're in the right place because I want to tell you how you can come to know Christ. You can invite Him to come into your life. And it's just through a simple prayer that I'll lead you in in just a minute. But right now, let's pray. And let's ask God to bless the rest of this time. Father, you are so good. Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook Live page if, if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.